welcome to Level with Emily Reese. This is music by Enon Zur for Eagle Flight. That's a new VR game where you're an eagle, flying around Paris 50 years after humans vanished, so it's all overgrown with nature. You'll hear from Enon in a bit. Our patron of the week is Carrie Honey. Carrie is a game journalist reviewer extraordinaire over at PS Lifestyle, and she's an avid soundtrack fan and friend. We talk about her favorite tune from Katamari Damacy, and we start off talking about Kingdom Hearts. The Kingdom Hearts soundtrack, that was the very first soundtrack I ever purchased. I don't even remember why I bought it. It was one of those things like, oh, you can get video game soundtracks. And I <laughs> think I found it like on some import site. And so I paid probably way too much money for it. Oh, man. Kingdom Hearts is still pretty gamey sounding. But it's one of those, I guess because I played the game so much, there's so much of it that, that really spoke to me. Back when I had the flip phone, I actually made my own ringtones from it. And one nice. of them was Destiny Island. It was my husband's ringtone. The problem with it is it was when he would call me, I would get so happy hearing it, I would just kind of dance. <laughs> and then I'd miss his call. That's really the first one that um, sent me down the slippery slope right. of buying nearly every video game soundtrack that comes out, whether I've played the game or not. Exactly. And you actually were able to help me out with that a few years ago because I wanted the Katamari Damacy soundtrack and you had it and you gave it to me. Yeah, was, uh, before we even met. Uh, yeah. yeah. Just, t- talking on Twitter and, you're, and I don't remember how it started, like you were asking about the Katamari Damacy soundtrack. And again, that was one of those that I imported. Okay. And uh, I was like, well, I have it. Do you want it? And you're like, are you kidding me? And so I just (laughs) uploaded it to Google Drive and shared it. Yep. And that's another one that you can't listen to and not be happy. I know. And we have the same favorite track from that, by the way, track number four, which God only knows what it's actually called. Wait, no, it does have an English title. What is it? Disco Prince. You. Katamari, that's one like I never did finish that game. I got overly frustrated. Although I did find that I was much better at it when I was drunk. Nice. Can barely see, but hey, look at the size of my Katamari balls. And if you want, I'd be playing in my car. And so my friends would get in my car and be like, what is wrong with you? I'm like, no, no, just just give it a minute. And then they'd even be getting into it. Like, we have no idea what this is, but this is kind of funny. It's like, because so you can't amazing. be unhappy. Whenever I'm having someone listen to Katamari, that's the track I always go to. 
Yes, that song comes from one of the bonus levels that you that you don't that you don't have to do. Oh, and so I played that level thing over and over and over again just because I like the music so much. Negative na wadai o kuchi ni suru na. Tsurakute mo sumu koto o yamerun janai. Peace na vibration de arku o egaki. Kono arsu ni makenai objei o tsukurei. Carrie's other choices were Snow in Summer from Near by Keiichi Okabe. Wandering in the Afternoon Sunlight from Crisis Core Final Fantasy VII by Takeharu Ishimoto. Pretty much anything from The Legend of Zelda by Kenji Kondo. The Brotherhood Escapes from Assassin's Creed Brotherhood by Jesper Kidd. And Installation from Halo Combat Evolved by Martin O'Donnell. If you'd like to become a patron of the week and chat about your favorite music from games, you can learn how at patreon.com slash level. Eagle Flight is a new VR game from Ubisoft, and Inan Zur wrote the score. The game is set in Paris 50 years after all the humans disappear, so it's like overgrown with nature, there's lots of animals running free and such. It's not a flight simulator, you fly around as an eagle, but there's, you know, a story and tasks, missions, all of that kind of stuff. And the game is freaking gorgeous. Enon and I talk about the beauty of the game and what it was like scoring his very first VR game. This is my very first uh, VR game, and I remember, I mean, it, it, it was so funny how it all came together, because about a year ago, I was invited to Montreal by my dear agent, Jeremy Valakit. He invited me to a party, and in the party, there were a few people, very interesting people. One of them was uh, Mathieu Ginson, 
And he is the audio director for all the Assassin's Creed games. Okay. And we started to talk, and then he said, like, you know, I have a little project that I don't know what to do with. It's very experimental. <sighs> But I'm very excited about it. Do you want me to tell you about it? And I said, like, sure. And I started working on it. And this was this game. And I would love it if you could just describe a little bit about it, because you got to play it, too. I know you did. And I would love to know like what the game is like and, and how you felt playing it. Well, the beauty of the game is, first, the setting. The setting is in a very weird, situated Paris, which has no human beings there for years and years and years, totally <sighs> deserted. Okay. Still amazingly beautiful, but all caught up in a jungle, basically. Mm -hmm. And everything there, all the only habitat there are just animals. Mm -hmm. So it looks like a big Paris safari. <laughs> nice. So basically, you are an eagle. And there is a side story or, or a main story about you. And there are a few missions. I don't want to spoil anything for whoever did not play the game yet. Yeah. But it, it, there is very strong narrative to the game. The whole beauty of it is that you are actually learning how to fly. And then you, as an eagle, learn to do the flying thing. <laughs> and you become really good at it. And when you become really good at it, it becomes more challenging. And the scenery is even more beautiful. And everything is going faster. And it's just a thrill. That's one of the things that kind of surprised me about it is that, you know, they could have just made a, a I guess for lack of a better term, a low-key flying game. They could have just made it really scenic and all of that, but there's quite a bit of combat music that you wrote for this score. Yeah, it's not just a, you know, people will think, oh, it's just a simulator. You know, well, yeah. no, it's not. Basically, they were able to put you inside a live creature 
<laughs> and there is a story that you are following or basically unfolding. And it, this story takes you from place to place, from path to path. And you need to accomplish a lot of things. And inside of it, obviously, there are some battles. There are some competitions. There's a lot of fun, but it also has a lot of suspense. And sort of like um, a lot of competitive angles to this game. Mm -hmm. So how did it feel to play it when you played it? I, I remember that I was totally taken. And in fact, I started to get into it so it's like and i started to scream and like <laughs> shout and this and this and this and the people from other cubicles came just like hey we're working here <laughs> you keep it down please <laughs> I would really love to fly to that music. So talk to me about how you created that sound. Well, just to begin with, I understood that there are three sort of like major components in the game that has to be addressed in the score. The first one of them is a, the thrill of the adventure, discovery, and majestic feel. And I... Obviously, and this is also my personal style, I'm turning into the symphonic orchestra to do that. Mm -hmm. And then there is the whole flying thing. And right away, I was thinking about a female vocalist with high voices, but not language or anything mm -hmm. to sort of like mimic the calls, you know, of the birds and to give us this kind of like a soaring feeling, but also soaring and wild feelings. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I brought on, on board um, Mimi Page and Airely Brighton. Both of them are amazing singers, as you know, and I've used You've them in the past. Yeah. yeah, And they were just amazing. Totally got into it. Uh, of course, I showed them videos of it, and they really flew here, both of them. And the third one is the ground below you, which is basically a almost like a jungle with animals and everything. And so just to mimic the primitiveness of the atmosphere, I brought heavy tribal percussions, tribal beats. I, I really liked all the flute, too. 
The flute also uh, became quite a strong signature there as part of the soaring wild. Yeah. So the flute and the vocals are sort of like exchanging place or supporting each other for this very same reason. So again, we have like the primitive wild aspect, we have the more storytelling aspect, which is the orchestra, and then, and then we have a singers that are giving it like such a strong signature. And did you have like a women's choir as well? Actually, no. What I did is like I recorded Ellie and uh, Mimi like a few times and sure. they created my own little choir. Nice. And doubled them with some samples and that basically was it. Wow. Did you have them sing specific lines or did you literally sample them? And no, actually, we planned to, uh, together here what lines they're going to sing. I came okay. up with some lines and they embellished it. This is always the way, you know, I'm sure. writing some ideas and then they take it and sort of like make it their own. Uh-huh. And uh, this is what we did. We listened to it. There was like an idea what to do. And with both of them, I usually, after they sing the lines that I want them to sing, I just let improvise. Nice. And then I'm taking a few of their phrases from the improvisations and mm -hmm. using them there. So <laughs> it's sort of like a really creative building blocks kind of. Tell me a little bit more about just, uh, you know, getting to score Paris in that way. I have to commend Benedict Wimet, mm -hmm. the uh, audio director in, in, in Ubisoft, and also Mathieu Jinsong, who was the specific audio lead on the game, that they, in one hand, gave me a lot of uh, creative freedom, but also really knew what they're looking for, so they knew what not working. But we were open to try a few things. So we even tried accordion, believe it or not. Really? And, yeah, <laughs> but we, we dissed it quite immediately because it just didn't really work. Yeah, yeah it's Paris, but it's not the Paris we know. Yeah. Then one, one day I hired a singer that was really great in French. And we wrote together like a French lyrics. Oh, okay. And she sang it. And again, it just didn't work because... Yeah. It didn't feel right. Then what what I ended doing was just giving a little bit of hints of the Paris. So if you listen, there are sometimes like a church bells that are playing. I actually wrote at least two of the main pieces 
have some kind of gestures that are quoting some of the Ravel and and WC harmonies and and style. Nice. And I was really thinking that that could work, and it did work. They totally picked up on it, and it's like, hey, that sounds a little bit like Ravel. It's like, yeah, yes. I'm doing it on purpose. Yes. So everything was very very subtle. more about uh, the, the particular challenges that you may or may not have faced since this is VR. So it's interesting because, uh, you know, the first thing came to mind, okay, this is a VR, this is totally new, uncharted territory, so we need to get into it like we never scored anything before. And I started to look at the components and I'm like, okay, I'm lost here. I... <sighs> never scored anything for VR. I don't really know all the technicalities that has to do with this, and I don't know exactly how music plays in VR. Mm. Is the music sound effect? Is the music folly or dialogue? Is it really part of the reality? No. Music has its own emotional aspects and, and its own layer. And it's not part of the reality, it's part of the narrative, it's part of the story. It is in your brain. Yeah. It's not outside, it's inside. And since this is the case, then music needs to be always between your two ears. Mm -hmm. No matter where you look, no matter where you go, if you fly fast or high or low or slow, if you're jumping, the music always will stay in your head, and as long as you have your head on your shoulders, <laughs> then the music should be there. Yeah. So, guess what? I composed the music like always, and I mixed yeah. the music like always in stereo. <laughs> and then the magic in happened in stereo, of in course. Just and then the magic happened because when the music is playing in stereo, but all the rest of the components are in total surround. It yep. makes actually the music being solidified and stand even better than a regular mix. It just has its own place. Well, yeah, because, I mean, if, if the music is coming from a certain direction, then it's being used as a sound effect, not as a score. So maybe there's a radio over on the table and there's music coming from it. So then exactly. I can see how that would be a part of the surround mix. But otherwise, if the music is supposed to be in your head, then stereo is it, right? Or anything that basically represents something that will be in your head. And, yeah. why, and the reason why stereo works so good for us is, well, guess what? We have two ears. Yes. <laughs> so we hear everything in stereo. I mean, I always found it very challenging to mix music and surround when I did music for movies, because mm -hmm. for movies, you are mixing uh, music in surround. There is no other way. 
And I found in many ways that it needs a extremely advanced mixture to do it. Like, I definitely cannot do it. Because if you don't do it right, the music totally loses its focus, its punch. Yeah. And it's just basically floating somewhere and totally losing its power. So there is ways to do it, and it's being done beautifully. But music is definitely more focused when it's in stereo. And you always mix your own music at the end. When it comes to live orchestras, I'm having uh, mixers coming here and mixing for me. But I'm always present here and weighing in and, oh, and wow, influencing. Yeah. And so it's sort of like a collaborative work. Can you tell me anything you're working on right now? Probably not, huh? Most of the um, a huge part that I'm working on right now and few projects that I have no way to tell you even in two or three years from now. <laughs> but wow. uh, definitely we can talk about Siberia 3. Oh, wonderful. That's right. I'm extremely, extremely proud and feel very excited to be involved in the project. Uh, Benoit yes. Sokal is a great artist and yes. like a serious artist and they put a lot into this game I just wanted to thank again Ubisoft and specifically Benedict Wimet and Mathieu Ginson that were so instrumental in helping me and supportive in the process and uh, just make sure that they will know it. great to get to hear another new score from you. It's been almost one year. We talked about Fallout last year, and then almost as if on cue, it's time to talk to you about another game. And it was really nice to, to speak with you today. And same here, Emily. Thank you so much again for your support, always. Thanks for listening to episode 45 of Level with Emily Reese. You can learn more about Enon Zur at enonzur.com and follow him on Twitter at enonzur. 
Some of us did a test run with Discord this week. It seems like this will be the best way for us to have our Google Hangs, since Google Hangs don't actually work for us. If you're a patron, you can join us for those gatherings. Discord is cool because there's voice chat, and it's like our own private server that you can either use an app for or just use in a browser, so you don't actually have to download it if you don't want to. If you want in on these in the future, learn how at patreon.com slash level. I'm Emily Reese. Sam Keenan is our producer. Say hi, Sam. Hi. You can follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Level with Emily and learn more about us at june-media.com. Remember, June is J-O-O-N. <laughs>